It shall receive seasoning and gravy and everything else. But I'm glad you had a chance to spend that time with your family. I stayed here, but I was taken well care of by many of you church members, and I appreciate you, and I thank you for that today. I need to remind you today of what you see on the screen, 365 days of Christmas. Of course, on December 22nd, we're trying to collect the biggest offering that we have ever collected in the history of this church. Amen? And God has been good to you in any way, shape, or form. We want you to give as much as you possibly can to God. This is separate from tithe. This is separate from stewardship. This is simply a thank you offering that we're giving God for keeping us for 365 days out of the year. Amen? I know you didn't wake yourself up this morning, did you? You didn't provide for yourself at all. It was all God. And so because of that, we want to give back to God what is truly, truly due to him. Amen? Right now, we want to turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. I'm happy with how the two services is going. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. And many of you are sticking behind for the first and the second service. I have to tell you that the pastor and I endeavor to preach the same message, message the first and the second service. Uh, but you never know how the Holy Spirit works from time to time. So we will see what we get today from the message. Amen. Last week, I spoke to you on prayer. Amen. And I talked to you about the altar of incense, and I let you know that the placement of the altar is significant, mainly because it sits right in front of the veil, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is where the presence of God dwells, which is to say to us today that if you ever want to be close to God, you cannot do it without praying. You must have a prayer life. And it does not have to be a special uh, professional prayer life. You don't have to pray like everybody else prays. You just need to be able to pray. Amen. Let me give you a short illustration. There was a man who was praying in a church in England one day, and as he was praying, he had no clear articulation. He fumbled and stammered and st over his words, and there was a woman who was sitting next to him hearing what he was praying, and she was just disturbed by it. And after he said amen, the young woman turned to him and said, son, that was the worst prayer I ever heard. That was the worst usage of articulation and grammar I have ever heard in my natural life. Young man turned and looked at her and said, well, excuse me, ma'am, but I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> so you just need to be able to talk to God. You don't have to get the words right. Even if you're like Hannah in the sanctuary, you may not even have to speak at all. Just talk to God and let him know what's on your heart. I also told you last week that most of the time we don't pray like Christ prays. And often we've left some of Christ's prayers unanswered. Christ prayed that we would have unity, but we pray that we would have uniformity, that all of us would be the same. That's not what Christ prayed. We pray for our wants, but Christ always prayed for the Father's will. We pray for freedom from our problems, but Christ prays for faith in the midst of our problems so that our faith will not fail. And then the final thing I told you last week, and I just want to recap for a moment, is simply that really... Truly, there are some things that you don't necessarily have to pray about. And for those of you who weren't here last week, you're looking at me like I'm crazy now. What are you talking about, preacher? And I say that because on some things, God has already spoken. You don't even need to pray about it. You don't ever have to pray about keeping the Sabbath day holy. Amen. You don't ever have to pray about lying or cheating or adultery. You already know what God says about that. For some things in our lives, God has already spoken. All that remains for you to do is get up and act and move on what God has already said. Amen. Amen. 
Well, today I want to carry on just a little bit further. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 30 and verse 6 through, uh, we'll say 6 through 9. Something I left out last week, I briefly mentioned, but I want to go back to now. Exodus chapter 30 and verses 6 through 9. Word of God says this, put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law. Before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law, where I will meet with you. Thank you, Lord. Aaron must burn fragrant incense. What kind of incense, y'all? What kind of incense? Incense. On the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. Do not offer on this Alter any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. I want to speak to you briefly on the subject in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. If I come today in my own strength, in my own research, in my own power, I can expect absolutely nothing to happen. And so I invite your presence with me today. Use me, Lord, until you use me up. Make me uncouth and uncharacteristic if necessary, God. Do what you have to do so that somebody receives your word today. And as always, God, when it's all said and done, let no one remember the messenger. Not even so much the carefully crafted message, but the master that is in this message. We need you to speak loudly and clearly, God, so that we make no mistake once we leave this place on what we need to do in order to be saved. And Father, I know today that there's someone in this building who needs to give their life to you. I pray for them even now. Father, when it's all said and done, may we leave this place knowing more than when we first came in. And above all things, save us into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. As I was studying this text last week and and this week as well, I thought I had pretty much flushed out everything that I wanted from it. But God kept leading me back to one word in the text, and it's that word fragrant, that word fragrant. Of course, I went to Webster because Webster always has the right answer. And Webster defined this word as having a sweet or a pleasant smell to it, having a sweet or a pleasant smell to it. And I thought about it, how God asked the priest to make sure that the incense was fragrant in the sanctuary. And the first question, the first word that came to my mind is, why? I mean, why? The priest has no concern for if the incense smells good or not. Truth be told, the priest is in the sanctuary and he's actually literally afraid for his very life because if he goes in there with unconfessed sin, If he thinks of anything evil, if he is tempted by anything in the sanctuary, immediately he's going to drop dead in there. And so I think the sanctuary smelling good is actually probably the least of his worries at this point. But God is very specific about this thing. And he says, Aaron, you must burn fragrant incense on the altar every single morning. Now turn to verse 34, and we read it last time, but let me read it again in your hearing. Verse 34, the same chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum and resin, onica, galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, 
and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant law in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it enjoys its fragrance, but must whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. So God is being very particular and very specific in this case as well. And not only does he tell them that the the incense must be fragrant, he tells them what type of fragrance the incense is supposed to burn off. And then God gives them exactly the exact combination of spices and herbs and what have you to put together and the specific amounts to put together in order to make the incense that he wants. And then he goes a step further and says, you are not to use this for yourself. This is holy and set apart for the Lord. You only use it to worship me. Can I throw something at you today, brothers and sisters? Can I throw something at you today? Mm. What God has consecrated for himself, you ought not use for your own use. What God has separated for his purpose and for his worship, you ought not take advantage of it with your own selfish tendencies. Oh, y'all not with me today. Can I help you today? You ought not even use your body for your own purposes. Bible says, don't you know that your body is not even your own? You were bought with a price. You don't have control over that thing. Your body is a temple unto the Lord. What God has set apart for his use, you are not to use for your own. Oh, y'all not with me today. I'm going to help somebody today. Your money is not your own. God gave that to you. You don't get to decide what you do with it before God gets his cut of it. And he does not get his cut after Black Friday is over. Your mind is not your own. God says that you ought to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not yours. You can't put all type of junk in there. You can't listen to any type of music that you want to listen to. You can't watch any type of movie that you want to watch. Your mind is the Lord's. Oh, I'm going to help myself today. Help me, Lord. What God has separated for himself, you ought not use for your own personal use. And so I ask God, why? Why do you want this thing to be fragrant, God? Why are you so specific on this thing? And then God gave me, I think, a a particular illustration that's important for us today. Uh, When you bring incense into your house, brothers and sisters, you bring it in to make your house smell good. Amen? Now, if you light up that incense and the only thing it gives off is smoke without a sweet smelling smell to it and you're coughing and gagging in your house, then you can pretty much say that that incense has defeated the purpose for which it was created. Am I right about that? I hardly think that you would say that that incense is acceptable to you or it's even serving what it should be doing. And I feel today that God feels the same way. Now, you know it, and I feel like a broken record saying it over and over again, but I got to say it again for your purposes today, just in case you miss it. Our God is particular. And he is specific about what he wants. God wants things in a certain way. Mm. God wants what is acceptable to him, brothers and sisters, not what is acceptable to you. Oh, help me. God wants what is acceptable to him, 
not what you think is acceptable. God wants you to offer to him what he wants, not only what you think is best to give him. Oh, God. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Which is to say, we can't come before God any old kind of way. Now, some of you looking at me and you're saying, Pastor, well, you preached real hard last week on how Jesus says that we all should be unified and God accepts everybody from every walk of life. And I agree with that today. But at the end of the day, I have to amend that a little bit and also add on and tell you this. God never accepts somebody in order for them to remain the same. God never brings you in in order to leave you where you came in at. If God brings you in at point A, he's trying to take you to point B and to point C and ultimately to glory with him. God's trying to change you. And even today in our lives today, we are more prone to tell God, well, God understands. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? God understands, but he does not approve. Well, preacher, God knows it. I can't pay my tithe this week because, because, because I, I got bills to pay and I got to buy little Johnny more clothes and I got to do this and Black Friday is coming up and I got to buy Christmas gifts. Oh, yeah, God understands, but God does not approve. God wants things his way and we can't give God what we feel like giving him. We are more accustomed to give God the least, the last and the left out. We just give God whatever is left of our lives. After we're done shopping, then we give God his money. And I realize this too for our young people today. We have this slang, saying going around that is YOLO, you only live once. And so young people think that they should live up their lives, do whatever they got to do, do it up, buy, uh, taste the milk before they buy the cow, do whatever they have to do. And then they want to come later on in life and come back to God. Now the problem I have with that is that God has endowed you now, young people, with gifts and with talents and abilities now, right now, you're at your best self. And we should not spare God our best selves. We should give God everything that we have. We wait till we're old and we're up in age. And by the time we come down the aisle, we're half crazy, crippled, blind, naked, poor, wretched. God is like, well, what do you want me to do with you now? God wants things his way, not our way. You can't even worship God your way. God wants it his way. He is particular and specific about what he wants. God wants the best that we have to offer the way he wants it offered. And let me give you a tidbit today. It's not what God asked from us. It's simply that he asked. It is irrelevant for us to consider what God asks us to do. It's simply that God asked us to do it. <laughs> oh, y'all not with me today. I gave this illustration this morning. If God asked me, said, John, what I want you to do is walk into Lake Erie right now. Just get neck deep in the water while it's 30, 30 degrees right now and just stay there. Now, I cannot fathom in my mind what conceivable purpose that would have. Now, I'm probably going to catch pneumonia. I may even die while sitting there in the water. I don't know. But the fact is, it is irrelevant why God asked me. The point is, God asked me to do it. And that's all that matters. If God asks us to do something, that's what he wants. We don't have the luxury of asking God why. 
So I thought about this thing and this fragrance, and I'm saying to myself, Lord, why do you want this? And God is saying, it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter why I wanted fragrant. It doesn't matter why I asked for the tabernacle to be this dimension, and I wanted this to be made of gold, and I wanted to do this at this time, and at that time, it does not matter. God asked me to do it, so I do it. Simple as that. And when I consider this thing, my mind goes back to Abraham and Isaac. I would say Abraham waited so long for a son, waited a very, very long time. And finally, God blessed him with Isaac. And then one day, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up to the mountain and sacrifice your son. What? Bible yeah. doesn't say Abraham argues. He gets up, takes his son, and he leaves. Definitely didn't tell his wife because you know she was not going to let that go down, especially if she was a sister. <clears throat> They're walking and they're going. They finally get to the mountain. The Bible says that Isaac begins to ask his father, Father, um, dude, where is the, the, the lamb for the burnt offering? And all Abraham says to him is, God himself will provide. Now, the funny thing that is not mentioned in this text is that Isaac finds himself on the altar. And if I were to use my sanctified imagination today, Isaac did not even put up a fight. When he found out that God wanted him to be sacrificed, he did not question that thing. He just said, come on, man, let's go. If God asked for it, then he's got some reason for it. I've got to do it. The Bible says he stood there on the altar, bounded up. The Abraham poured oil over him and even had a knife that was going to get ready to kill him. And the boy said not a mumbling word. We don't have that type of trust in God today. You, we got to know why, when, who, what for, all of the questions that we could ever muster in our mind. We have to know all the details before we ever move with God. What we forget is that he is God. He knows the end from the beginning. And really, this thing stems from this today. See, we don't really believe that God is good. You might not want to say amen because you don't believe that. You don't believe God is good. What you really believe is that God does good things from time to time. He's good every once in a while. When I get a new car, God is good. When I get my paycheck on time, God is good. My kids are acting right. God is good. But we forget the fact God is not good. God is good. What that means is that his very nature is good. God cannot step outside of himself. Oh, y'all missed that today. His nature is good, which means that his very thoughts, his very intentions, every action that he takes, every word that he speaks is good. He cannot do anything else but good. We don't even believe that God is love. Oh, man. Not that God loves us from time to time and he showers us with blessings because he loves us. God is love. See, you can love somebody one minute and you can hate them the next. You can love somebody and then stab them in the back the next. And as I said this morning, you can bless somebody in church and then curse their behind out that same night. God cannot do that. Everything that he does is out of goodness and out of love. He can't do anything else. He literally cannot help himself. He's God. So when we think about that in our lives, we really have no reason not to trust God. We have to remind ourselves that whatever we are going through, whatever we're suffering, whatever, whatever type of situation we're going through in our lives, somehow, some way, I do not know how, but it's working out for my good because God is good. Mm -hmm. Well, 
thought about this thing. God wants fragrant, fragrant incense. As I studied this week, I came across something that really blew my mind. The, before the incense could give off its fragrant perfume or its fragrant odor, it had to be burned. <laughs> oh. If y'all were in the first service, y'all just say wow again. Just say wow. <laughs> before the incense could give off its fragrance, it had to be burned. Brothers and sisters, I tell you today, some of our best times in prayer come from a time when we are, when we come from a time uh, that we are in the crucible of life. Our best prayers come from the fire of test and circumstance. Your best time with the Lord comes right after God brings you through something. Your best times with the Lord are when you have no way out and you are forced to get down on your knees and say, God, I do not know what to do. I need your help. It is in moments like those that we pray our most sincere prayers. We don't have time to say, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, I need you. Our best prayers come from a time of desperation and necessity where we don't know how we're going to work this thing out. We see no foreseeable future. We have no solution to the problem. We don't know how we're going to make it. It is in those moments that we pray prayers that are right to the point. Remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood? The Bible says she suffered 12 long years. She had seen every physician in town. She went to every Cleveland clinic uh, branch there was. Nobody could help her. She had spent all of her money trying to get help, and now her situation was hopeless. Bible says one day she was in the crowd, and really she should have not even been in the crowd, number one, because she was a woman. Number two, she was bleeding, which means she was unclean. She should have been nowhere close to Jesus at all. But the Bible says that because she was so desperate for her healing, Even though people bumped her to the right and knocked her to the left and hit her down on the ground, the woman began to crawl and reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And I believe today that she would not have even done that had she not been through 12 long years of hardship and toil. Some of us need to pray, God, keep me in the fire. Ah, Burn me, Lord. Keep roasting the coals under me. If you don't, I will forget you. And some of you today, you would not even serve God had he not brought you through something. Oh, say amen, because I know it's true. Some of you would have nothing to do with him had not God brought you out of a a terrible situation. Had not God healed you. Had not God saved your life at one point in your life. Had you not known that your life was in shambles and you were not going to make it. Some of you would not even be here today. Truth be told, for even some of us holy and pious Christians today, we would not even pray unless God allows us to go through something. You would not even pray. Truth of the matter is, if all your days were sunny, you would not even appreciate the sunshine. So what God does is send storms and rains and thunderstorms and lightnings and all matter of wind to blow into your life to get you to wake up and realize God... I need you. Well, the word of God says, 
before this incense could give off any type of odor, it had, it had to be burned first. And then I discovered, I tried to ask myself where they get this, where they got the fire from. Most scholars believe that they took the coals from off of the burning altar and put them inside the altar of incense so that the incense could burn. We know that the brazen altar represents the cross of Calvary, amen? That Christ died on the cross for our sins. And at that moment of sacrifice, we are now secured and redeemed and delivered and saved unto him. And so when the priest takes those coals and puts them in the altar of incense, what it symbolizes for us is, is that our prayers should not only be born out of desperation and necessity, they should also be born out of a grateful heart. Simply for what God has done for you in your life. You ought to pray simply for that reason. Oh, y'all don't get that. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Uh, it should not take me on the pulpit doing flips and handstands. It should not take me doing backflips and giving you clever illustrations to make you worship the Lord. Oh, Willie should not have to play every single chord correct on this thing in order for you to be in the mood to worship God. If the musicians don't get it right and the praise team cannot sing a lick, you should still worship the Lord. should not take anything for you to do that. You should worship God simply because of what he has done for you in your life. Christ has went to the cross and he died for you. Oh, man. Nobody ever done that for you. Nobody else ever will do that for you. Christ went to the cross, had the ability to call down legions of angels to set him free from this world. But Christ chose to go to the cross because there was no other way for Zach to be saved. If he did not go, you could not be saved. If he did not lay his body down to be whipped and to be beaten and to be nailed, Willie, you could not be saved. You ought to pray to God and you ought to worship him regardless of who's in the building. If there is no preacher to preach you happy, you ought to praise him. It boggles my mind today because when I went over to Israel, oh man, I went over to Israel and on a Friday night because you know they worship on the Sabbath day as well. Me and my friends went down to the Western Wall. And the Jewish brethren there, I kid you not, when the sun began to set, they grabbed hands and they began to dance. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. They began to dance. I said, dude, dude what, are you, what are you doing? He said, we are dancing because we believe that this is the time that almighty God has set apart to spend time with us. And I kid you not, they stood in a circle, all of them holding hands and dancing before the Lord. Dancing, dancing, celebrating the goodness of the Lord. And how many times do we come into God's house and if the sermon ain't right and if the liturgy doesn't go according to plan and the music's not what we want to hear and this guy makes us mad and that girl says something that we don't like, we can't even worship God. Why not? God has been good. It died 2,000 years ago and nothing is ever going to change that. Wherever you are in life, if you are in a desert or in a cave by yourself, you should be able to worship the Lord. You don't need no music. Going to come a time in your life, brothers and sisters. There's going to come a time in the last days. We won't even have the word. That's true. That's right. That's right.
that's why David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You ought to know God for yourself. You ought to have a relationship with him. You ought to be grateful today for what he has done for you. And out of that ought to be born your worship experience. We rely on the church way too much. Now we got to have programs and carefully crafted events and we got to give out stuff and we got to, you know, have, have all kind of raffles and all kind of stuff. And we got to do magic tricks and show fireworks and do illusions and hide behind things and come out blah and all this kind of foolishness. Christ has died. That's why we worship God. His word tells us today that where two or three are gathered in his name. There I am in the midst. And if the preacher's not there and the deaconess not doing it, the deacon's not doing it and the ushers, two or three people should come together and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We still going to rejoice and we're going to be glad in it. Mm-hmm. Well, we worship and we pray to God born out of what he has done for us, which is also the reason why we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray in his name. You ever thought about that, brothers and sisters? That's not just a clever tagline that we just attach on to the end of our prayers. It has important meaning for us today. When we say, in the name of Jesus, amen, and for his sake, amen, there is something particular and there's something important about that that we need to recognize. Well, I did a little research and I'll share it with you today. I tried to find out what is in a name and what's the biblical concept of a name in the Bible. And I discovered that more often, well, more often than we think, Christ asks us to pray in his name. It all comes from the book of John. Look at this. John 14, 13. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 14. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. John 16, 24, hitherto have ye asked anything in my name, ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. And finally, John 16, 26, at that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. So God asks us many times, pray in my name, not in your name, not in the name of the pastor, not in the name of anybody else. Pray in the name of of Jesus. Well, what's the importance behind God's name? I believe today that God's name is a declaration of his, the greatness of his person. Consider these verses with me. Psalms 81, 8 verse 1. You know it with me. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Psalms 103 verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Psalms 113, 1 through 3. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore from the rising of the sun 
unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Yeah. Psalms 148.13, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is excellent. Nobody else's. His glory is above the earth and the heaven. Because God's name is excellent, we are to exalt it in our prayer. And even in our praise, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And mind you, I told you this last week. The disciples did not come to God to ask him for more riches. They didn't come to ask him for a new car, brand new Lexus. They didn't come to ask him for their family to be right. They said, Jesus, we have seen how you talk to the Lord. Teach us how to pray. We want to know how to commune with God. And the first thing that Christ tells them to do is to pray this. Hallowed be Thy name. Mm -hmm. Bible says one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Wherefore God has also also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Well, what does it mean today to act in the name of of somebody else. If you do something in somebody else's name, frankly, you are doing it with their authority. Thank you, Lord. I remember the story of David, how he went down into the valley to fight Goliath. And the Bible says that David said, Goliath, I don't come to you in my own name. But I stand before you today in the name of the Lord of hosts. And with that, we have authority. When we pray in Jesus' name, God is obligated to move for us. Oh, gosh. Help me, Lord. When we pray in Jesus' name, God has to act. If you come in your own authority, that means absolutely nothing. But when we come with Christ, and when we say, God, give unto me. What Christ has died for, God must give it. We come in the name of Jesus and we ask God for his promises. That God said, God, you said if we pray unto you, you would show us wonderful and miraculous things that we don't know. God, you must do it. Scholars used to say that the prophets used to kneel down in the olden days and shake their fists towards heaven and say, God, give us what you have promised us. We can pray that prayer today. Because we have authority to do so. When we pray to God, we can say, God, give us. You said that you would supply all of our needs according to our rich, your riches in glory. God, I cannot pay my bills. Supply my needs. Father, you said you would keep us in perfect peace if our minds were stayed on you. Give me that peace. Not for my sake, but because Christ said when he died, I could have it. God, you said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, I'm not praying for myself. I'm praying because you said I could have it because of Christ. So when we pray in his name, we pray in his authority. And secondly, we also pray in his stead. In other words, we represent Christ before the Father when we pray. The truth of the matter is when we come before God and we are in Christ and we pray in his name and for his sake, God no longer sees us. He sees Christ and his merits and his righteousness. Now he has died for us and all the good that he has done for our lives. And Christ's life covers ours. 
That's why I love that text that says, listen, you mess around and try to save your life, you're going to lose that thing. But if you lose your life, if you give it to God, Christ covers your life and he gives you everything that you have been ever promised. But what's the application today? (laughs) Praying in the name of Jesus means that we come to the Father first. It means that when we come to the Father, rather, we come because God called us first. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that you cannot even pray without God prompting you to do it? You can't even talk to God unless God allows you to do it. Oh, man. You cannot even repent of sins unless God moves you to do it. We're not smart enough to do that. We don't have enough sense to ask God for forgiveness because our hearts are desperately wicked above all things who can know it. So God is the one who calls us. And when he calls us, we come in Christ's name, not our own. But then also the father then is obligated to treat us as sons and daughters because when we come to God... We pass from mere creation to being adopted sons and daughters of God. Which means that everything that is promised Christ is promised to us as well. We get the inheritance that Christ gets. We get everything that is promised to Christ. And I don't know about you today, but I say hallelujah. 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 So we pray in his name. And then we pray for his sake. In other words, when we pray for God to bless us or when we pray to ask God to do something for us, we do it so that the glory of God may be revealed to the world. That through God burning us through temptation or through God showing us how much he loves us, we will then forth begin to have such a relationship with God that we have a fragrant life in the world. That people will get a sense of God just by being around us. Oh, gosh. That people will smell God on us. That when we speak, people may be struck in their hearts because they, this is the voice of God speaking to me. People ought to know that when they come to you, you have some type of relationship with God. People ought to know that when they're going through, you could be the person to get a prayer through for them. So the question I probably want to ask you today, and I said this in the first service, it may be comical. Do you smell like God? Do you even have the fragrance of Christ on your life? Do people even know that you are a Christian? Do people even know that you worship God? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Are you a uniformed soldier or are you an undercover agent? When we pray, we pray for Christ's sake that his glory may be revealed in our lives. You know what? And everybody loves that prayer of Jabez. Lord, increase and expand my territory. I remember one time I was doing a Bible study with this girl, and I was saying, I'm praying the prayer of Jabez. And she said, John, don't you know that when you pray that prayer, you're asking for God to expand your territory. Now you're responsible for all of that territory. With all that you've been given, you need to give God glory for that. 
You need to make sure that through whatever you have, whatever you ask God for, it is for his sake. (laughs) Prayer is important, amen? I was studying this thing, man. Dude, prayer is so, so vitally important. As I studied the altar of incense and as the priests are lighting that thing and, and, and the aroma is filling the sanctuary, I began to think about prayer. Because when you light incense, I mean, it literally, it, it, it makes the atmosphere different. And I would go so far as to say today, brothers and sisters, when you pray to God, you change the atmosphere. You change circumstances and situations when you pray. <laughs> when you pray. Things must change. You wonder why you have so many problems in your life, so many demons running around, so many evil spirits, kids not acting right, cat don't love your dog, ran away, all this kind of stuff. Maybe you ought to try praying. We don't pray anymore. We don't talk to God anymore. We have no communion with him. And God, let me me tell you what Ian Bounds says. Ian Bounds says God is like, he's like he's sitting in a chair and he's strapped in and he cannot move. God wants to move. He is eager and he's like a rabid dog. He's drooling at the mouth to come and help you in your situation, but you have not asked him to do it. So God is in chains right now. He cannot move into your life. He cannot intervene because you have not asked him. Brothers and sisters, when you pray today, you change the atmosphere. God is purpose to intervene. But, oh, no, that's not the right word. That's not the right word. When you pray, you unleash God. You unleash unlimited power into your life. The question you have to ask yourself is, why would you not pray? Why would you not talk to God? Okay, 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 okay. You remember the story of David, don't you? The Bible says that David was a fugitive in Israel. He ran away and went to a town called Ziklag, and there, uh, it was in the, uh, the town of his enemies, the Philistines. They gave him a town uh, called Ziklag. And when he came back one day, he and his mighty men found out that the entire place had been burned down. It had been destroyed by fire. Not only that, they took their children, <laughs> all the men's wives, but not only their wives, David's two wives. And the Bible says that all the men are there now weeping and crying. It's all over. There's no hope for us anymore. We're not going to make it. And they got so upset that they even threatened to stone David, so David is distressed as well. And these were not ordinary men, brothers and sisters. These men, the Bible says, were David's mighty men. One of them broke through an army line just to get a cool cup of water. One of them was so zealous on the battlefield that as he was killing people, by the time he got done, the sword stuck to his hand. He could not remove it. So you know it's a bad situation when big, strong, burly, Rambo-type men are crying like little girls. It's a crisis situation. And they're crying, and they think that everything is over. And David is upset as well because now he thinks it's his fault, and he believes that everything that they ever loved in life is now gone. And then the Bible says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, here is what I imagine. 
David is looking around at the rubble. He's seeing that everything is burned. Everything is messed up. It seems like everything is over. Everybody's crying over spilt milk. Nobody has any faith. Nobody has any hope. And then David says, well, wait, wait a minute now. Hold on. We ain't even prayed yet. Oh, man. We have not even talked to God about it yet. And we already gave up hope. We have not put it before the Lord. We have not prayed. We have not asked God for what he wants from us now. And we've already given up hope. How many times do we give up on God too soon? Situation in our life before we even pray. Well, it's all over now. I'm out. We have not even prayed yet. Haven't even talked to God about anything. The Bible says that David at that moment takes out the priestly garment. He kneels down somewhere amongst the rubble. He prays to God and God, he says, God, what do I do? God, what do I do? I've hit rock bottom. I have lost everything. I haven't seen my mama or tasted her cooking in years. My men are about to stone me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've lost their wives, their children, and my two wives, and their and my children. God, what do I do? The Bible says the voice came from heaven then and said, David, get up and go fight, for you shall recover all. And the story goes a little bit further and says, David goes... He goes and he goes and he finds a servant of the Amalekites, the people who took uh, all his stuff. And the, and the servant leads him to where the Amalekites are. And he gets down to the top of the mountain and he looks over the valley. And the Bible says that he hears the Amalekites. He hears their, their music, the music of revelry and party. Now, here's what you ought to take from this thing. I believe today the devil is having a good time with our stuff. He's partying. <laughs> having a good time, two-stepping, electric slide, doing everything he's got to do. He ain't worried about y'all because we don't have enough faith to pray to God for anything anyway. He don't got to worry about nothing. He don't have to fight anymore. Don't got to trick you into anything. You're going to do it anyway because you don't want to pray. Oh, help me, Lord. Oh, Jesus. I think we give up on God too soon sometimes. When God is disposed to help us, when God wants to clear our way, when God wants to change us and transform us and even bless us, he cannot do it because we refuse to pray to him. When you pray, you change the atmosphere, brothers and sisters. Literally. There's one last thing I want to tell you about this fragrance today. The Bible says Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Not only should your prayers be fragrant, your life should be fragrant. The presence of God, brothers and sisters, ought to be the fragrance in your life. When people come in contact with you, they ought to come in contact with God. Amen. When you speak about spiritual things, it ought to be as if God himself is speaking. When you minister on behalf of God, they ought to know that your ministry is sincere and genuine. Your life ought to be filled with the fragrance 
of God. You ought to be so hungry and thirsty for God that you don't know what you're going to do unless you have a word from him right away. All right, all right, all right. Let me tell you something. I told this in the first service. I'm going to tell it again. I kid you not. I would not lie in the pulpit. When I first came to Christ, after I read the Gospels for myself and I tried to understand what Jesus was talking about, we talked about this in office, Elder I could not get enough of God's word. I literally could not go an entire day without having some type of word in my heart. Okay, I'll go a little step further. When I was younger in high school, this was about the time I gave my life to the Lord. I remember carrying in my back pocket one of those small Gideon New Testament Bibles. Carrying in my back pocket. And I used to work as a bag boy at this grocery store when I was young during the summers. And I remember going, and at all this time, I'm thinking about God, even as I'm bagging groceries. God has been good. I mean, everything that is happening around me somehow becomes a sermon illustration for me. It becomes sermon notes for me. I am literally seeing God in every aspect of my life. And I kid you not, on my lunch breaks, I would take my breaks not to eat lunch, not to hang out with my friends. Believe me today, brothers, hear me, hear me now. I would literally go into the back storeroom, sometimes into the bathroom, and I would kneel down and I would talk to God. I could not stand going throughout a day without talking to the Lord. That's the way it should be now with our lives. We should be so closely connected to God. We can scarcely go throughout a day without talking to him. The Bible says we ought to pray without ceasing. We ought to always be talking to God. At every moment of the day, every moment of our lives, we ought to talk to God. And I believe today that we ought to pray to God and ask him for that same fire to burn within us. That fire that we first got when we first believed in God. Even our prayers today have become dry and formless and cold. We just say it because we think this is what God wants to hear. We don't even talk to God anymore. And it's funny how many times we lie to God. Just because we like to say things that he likes to hear. And I don't know about you, but I am extremely honest with God. I tell God the truth of the matter is I do not want to do what is right in this situation. I don't want to do it. The fact is, God, I want to do exactly what you told me not to do. Why can't you be honest with God? You definitely can't be honest with everybody else. And I feel like today we're missing out on a big part of the Christian experience because this thing is literally rigged for us to succeed. Every time you shoot with prayer, you make the basket. Every time you throw the ball, you get a touchdown with prayer. Because God says we ought to pray in his name and for his sake. And Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us in glory, which means that even the prayers that we tell him that are not in accordance with his will, God translated into language that God can understand for us. We cannot lose with prayer. Your life today ought to be so prayerful and so, so, so intimate with God that you give off a fragrance so that you smell like God. You never had that experience before? I have. I have come into places, brothers and sisters. I mean secular places. And people have, dude, there's something different about you. 
Ain't nothing I did. It wasn't because I was particularly handsome or good looking or dressed well or anything like that. Had nothing to do with that. It was simply because of the amount of time that I spent with the Lord. Okay, okay. Our lives are so void of prayer today. We're doing all this great stuff and we ain't even talking to the Lord. We ushering and not even praying. Deaconing and not praying. Preaching and not praying. Talk to me, Lord. Be giving tithe and not praying. Not even talking to God. Don't even know what he wants from us anymore. Have not received our marching orders. We don't know what God wants from us anymore. We just regurgitate whatever we hear the pastor saying from the pulpit. We just remember those key cliche texts for us. But we have no relationship with God. What is God saying to you? Our lives ought to be fragrant, y'all. Help me, Lord. People ought to know when they need a word, when they're going through, they can come to you. Let me tell you this too, man. When you say you're going to pray for somebody, please do it. That's one of the things we do a lot. Oh, I'm praying for you. Please pray. I, I need you to pray. Talk to God. And sometimes, the only times we will talk to God is when we're praying for somebody else. Oh, well, okay, okay, okay. One more text, and I'm going to get out your way. Ephesians. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Ephesians verse 5, verse 1, we have it, say amen. amen. Follow God's example. <laughs> Let me just stop right there. <clears throat> Follow God's example. There's one thing you ought to know about God in Christ. When Christ was on this earth, one of the main things he did was pray. His life was not always filled with preaching. Wasn't always filled with doing miracles. The brother was praying. And Ellen White even says that in the morning he would wake up a great while before day and he would lay out his plans before the father. God, what do you think about this? Here's what I'm planning to do. But Lord, what, what do you think I should do about this situation? What, 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 what is your pleasure? How do you want me to act about this thing? The Bible says we ought to be following God's example. If you're not praying, you are not like God. If Jesus, who was God in the flesh, had to pray, you definitely need to pray. Okay, okay. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a what? Fragrant offering and sacrifice. To God. One more text. Revelation. Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Revelation 8 and verse 2. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of God. Of of all God's people. 
on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together, together, together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Let me end like this. I'm done. When you pray, brothers and sisters, your prayers are not ascending to the throne of God just by themselves. When you pray, the fragrant incense of Christ's death on Calvary accompanies everything that you pray in the name of Christ. And when you pray it, it is not delayed. It does not stop at the ceiling. It is not hindered in any way. When you pray to God in the name of Christ, it goes straight to the throne of God. You ought to be comforted today in knowing that almighty God hears every groaning that you have. When you cannot speak what you're going through, if you just wave your hand, as the old folks say, God accompanies that thing with fragrant incense. Mercy, Lord, thank you. Every time you talk to God, every mumbling word that you say to him, God hears it and he answers accordingly. The Bible says that everything that we ask, every promise in Christ is yes and amen. There is not a prayer on this earth. That God does not hear. Come on. There's not a prayer on this earth that God does not hear. There is not one single plea from any heart, good or bad, that God does not hear first. The main thing you need to recognize today, brothers and sisters, God wants things a particular way. He wants it specific. God wants your life and your prayer life to be so fragrant before him with Christ. That not only will people begin to see that you had a life-changing experience, but that your prayers themselves would change circumstances in your life. Sometimes I, let's be honest with you today, sometimes I hate preaching on prayer. Because everybody thinks you're just being so cliche. I hate it. Nobody receives it. But what you need to understand today is, no good relationship can function unless you have communication. And brothers and sisters, I would not be a very good preacher or not a very good pastor if I did not let you know, brothers and sisters, you need to be praying more than anything else in the world right now. You'd have to be foolish not to pray. We see everything that is happening in the world today. And we're just going through a dry Christian experience. Just going to church and coming back home. Going to church, coming back home. Going to Sabbath school. But we never have time to talk to God. Husbands and fathers, you better be praying for your children. Ellen White even says that the last scenes of Earth's history will be rapid ones. Before it, you're not even going to know it's coming. And if you're not prayed up now, you're not going to be ready. I hate when people talk about the last days all day long, oh, the last days coming. Listen, if you were to die today, that is the end of your world. That is your last day. So I want to know today, how many of you are actually praying? 